Black Widow is the 24th Marvel Cinematic Universe movie and the first to be released in over two years. But does this put Marvel Studios back in the black or is it on its way to the Red Room? I'm Mike. And I'm Derek. And this is Popscorn. Welcome to Popscorn, the Entertainment Movie Review Podcast, and today, in a surprising return to form, we're talking all things Marvel again in this review of Black Widow. I'm still Mike. And I'm still Darren. Yes, it's been a very, very long time since uh, Spider-Man Far From Home, the last, well, the 23rd Marvel Cinematic Universe film, which was well over two years ago at this point. Yeah, it's um, well. It, it, I think it might just be coming up for two years, hadn't it? Yeah, no. Spider-Man tends to release in July. I think this this upcoming one um, was. Oh God, is it No Way Home? Is that what it's called? Yes. Yeah. Oh boy, the toy leaks for that make it look real fucking interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but yeah, no. This is this will be the first time in two years that we have been able to review a Marvel movie, no less one that we saw in cinemas, which is very exciting. How mad is that that Spider-Man Far From Home already feels like, oh yeah, I've seen that a bunch of times, that's just part of the furniture now, and that was the the newest one we had. And I know we've had, well, two and, what, five sixth of some uh, MCU TV shows since then to kind of fill that void, but still, it's a very welcome return. This was your first return to the cinema full stop since New Mutants, right? It was, yeah. Sadly, I can't say since Tenet, because that was the last thing that we reviewed in person. Speaking of, we'll be going back to that next week, so I'm very excited we about that. We will! We will! We can touch some face. Uh, we actually saw <laughs> this one um, together as well. We had a lovely meal at Bella Italia beforehand. Uh, my uh, fiancé felt the need to third wheel us the whole time to, you know, <laughs> just to just to make sure the sexual tension wasn't, you know, ramped all the way up. Um, <laughs> Although it's been copping off over the table, be all over the calzone. Oh. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to fuck on something, I'm not going down that route. Uh, <laughs> so, um, interesting film, this, in the sense that this has been apparently long gestating. I mean, the last two years notwithstanding, this is a film that, uh, that Kevin Feige has said, oh, we'll always, we will be doing something with Black Widow. And it's taken till, unfortunately, 2021 because of the pandemic, but was supposed to be released last year in 2020. Um Official work on the film didn't actually begin until late 2017, um, although apparently they have been trying to get some version of this off the ground since um, Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow was introduced in Iron Man all the way back in 2010. Yes, that film is 11 years old. Yes, I still do remember the fact that I had to watch it twice because the pair went off halfway through the movie. (laughs) Were you with me for that one? Was I? I've been I mean, it was, it was 11 years ago, Darren. You'd be forgiven for not remembering. I have been in a cinema when the powers goes off, but I don't know if it was Iron Man 2. That's a good question. I might have been. Um, but you're right, this... You know, it's it's one of the few criticisms I have, but it does kind of feel like this movie's just come out a little too far ahead of its time. You know what I mean? Like, 
No, that's the wrong way around, isn't it? Ahead of your time. Uh, I think. You, I think. Yeah, I, I understand what you're trying to say because I, I think, generally speaking, whilst I did enjoy myself, this movie does feel a little bit too little, too late. I don't know how you felt though. I feel the exact same. It feels like this. If this came out, like, because to all intents and purposes, and this isn't really a spoiler, other than the post-credit scene, this movie, if you're going to be rewatching the MCU, you can watch almost entirely from start to finish just before you watch Infinity War. And it feels like that's when it probably should have come out, really. And now, and I think in future years, people might even choose to do it that way around, just because it makes so much more sense there than it does here, because it doesn't really add any further context or meaning or kind of new direction to everything going forward outside of that post-credit scene that I feel was necessary. It's it's the biggest slight against this, that it's still a fun movie, we had a good time and all that good stuff, but didn't really feel necessary as most mcu movies do in terms of pushing this whole thing forward it didn't and we've had mcu movies that have gone before other movies chronologically before so we had infinity war which was followed up by ant-man which uh, sorry ant-man and the wasp which ran a little bit behind like that entire movie takes place inside of infinity war somehow uh, and before that, we had actually the first Ant-Man movie, which is supposed to take place canonically before um, uh, Age of Ultron, which obviously didn't happen that way. So it's not like there's been time problems. You know, that's not a new thing for the MCU. No. They've definitely had to go back and forth. I mean, Captain America won, for God's sake. Captain Marvel as well. Anything starting with a captain, really. Um, but this this one really did feel like did not come at the right time, not just because of where it sits in this wider story, which has now wrapped up its first three-part arc of 10 years of movie making, mm -hmm. but also it didn't come at the right time for this character because no matter what happens in this movie, she's protected by the old plot armor, and that doesn't really fucking help any tension. So this movie kind of just feels like a two-hour, like, previously on segment and it's just it didn't really do anything for me and it, i'm ashamed to say that that's the case because i've been an advocate of a black widow movie i will say when we did pitch um our version of uh, phase four it would have been back then mm -hmm. and you did it's the raid but black widow and a bunch of other um super heroines yep. fuck me that would have been good right yeah but still it, it kind of comes back to right uh, you've hopefully by this point you've seen endgame and you know that the problem with this movie is that we ultimately know that, you know, she's not coming back anytime soon unless there's some real fuckery going on in the MCU. Like, Black Widow's dead. So the all the other previous movies you mentioned that did go back in time were to set up a character that they would be using going forward. I don't know if this was just a case of, right, we really want all of the original Avengers to have their own thing we've got hawkeye coming at the end of the year and i just left black widow and scarlett Hansen isn't doing tv work so or it was it was part of her contract when they need to re-up it or something just it felt more like a like so it was a mandatory film as opposed to something that was narratively necessary and like i said that is the only real big criticism i have of this entire movie because as far as like 
slightly pointless waste of time go. It's a very, very fun pointless waste of time. I hope all of the future waste of time projects we go and see at the cinema are anywhere near this fun and enjoyable to watch. But yeah, I think it's something that's going to get better with time, I think. Once we kind of get past the, you know, thoughts and feelings of, well, what was the point of this movie, really? Because um, we might see that. Maybe in a few movies and a few TV shows time, we'll see, oh, okay, it wasn't just Black Widow. It was setting up these other characters who do have purpose going forward. That's why it was necessary. And like I said, the further we get away from that and the more you can kind of watch these movies back in whatever order you please, that's probably going to help it quite a bit. Hopefully so. It's very it's very strange. And, and this is this is the like what makes the MCU such a standalone thing to go and see a film, enjoy it, think I have no problem with that, but still be underwhelmed and, and still feel like this is this has been released at the wrong time. It feels like a fossil compared to other films in its own franchise. That's how gargantuan this well, the MCU has become and continues to be. Um, it's had more of a chance to, uh, you know, really spread its leg and plant its roots in new ideas on TV. But in, in film, it's not been as successful. Now, we've got another two Marvel movies this year anyway, both of which entirely new sets of characters. So hopefully that will kind of revamp uh, sort of like the movie scape. So you will in terms of Marvel stuff. But yeah, I, I don't particularly have any problems with this. I just don't have anything new or interesting to say. <laughs> Sets a really good precedent for this episode, doesn't it? Shall uh -huh. we talk about Scarlett Hansen, who finally got to be on a lead role? I will say, actually, on that point you raised about Scarlett Hansen put something like a rider in her contract that says she won't do TV. If you are listening, Scarlett, which you're not, there are much better actresses on doing TV roles than you fucking what's what's up with that <laughs> you know <laughs> like you think okay, like, I, mean, I mean i'm just saying we've had one division this year one of my favorite tv shows of the decade was sharp objects full of brilliant actresses and all of them i would put above scarlett johansson <laughs> this is a woman who was nominated for both lead and supporting actress at the oscars in not too recent memory michael <laughs> admittedly both of those roles were very good although i will say the marriage marriage story role gave her more to do whereas i think jojo rabbit used her better as a device but that would be spoilers for a movie we've already reviewed two movies two movies already no we didn't review marriage story already but um i think i might have quickly done it on the but go and watch both of them they're both really good uh yeah it's about time i really wish this had been the first female fronted one and not Captain Marvel, because that mm. just felt so undeserving of the accolade. Like, it shouldn't need to be an accolade that it took this long to finally get a female-fronted Marvel movie. That's a different discussion for a different day, but really wish it could have been this. If it had come out at the right time, it would have been this. But, yeah, it's it's nice. It's a great character and has been for, what, 10 plus years at this point. And I don't know if this is her best performance i think that's still her turn as basically the co-lead of um the winter soldier but she's very likable here she still gets some good laughs she gets some good action scenes it's overall it's a pretty good kind of culmination of everything that character has been through over the course of these last 10 years it is yeah and i will say that i did enjoy this movie more than captain marvel um oh, and i yes. think and I think it is weirdly a better movie for women than Captain Marvel is. 
because this is very much a story about uh, sisterhood, which I really enjoyed that aspect of. Um, is this Scarlett Johansson's best performance? I, in terms of the MCU anyway, I do feel like we got something quite special out of her in Endgame. Um, mm. And I did also like really like her in um, Captain America, the Winter Soldier as well. She's certainly not off-brand. She, she's very much being this the Natasha Romanoff character, and she's embodying that. Unfortunately, because of its placement in the story, I don't feel like there's anything we get to see that we hadn't already gotten a flavour of or previously explored. Um, this was just filling in the gaps, you know, crossing the T's, dotting the I's. And I don't feel like we saw something new or interesting outside of that sisterhood aspect. But it felt like... It felt like the Black Widow character's main arc in the Avengers movies, at the very least, was concerning family. And it felt like that arc wrapped up quite well. And now this is going, ah, but also something else. Also another family. And weirdly, that's where I think it really falls down. Because I, I don't think it was as convincing as it was to see her get to know these people from all across the globe in the Avengers that it does to have her little Soviet nuclear family. Yes, that was a pun. Well done. Um, yeah, they... It feels like that's the the moral story you're trying to teach here of, like, you know, just because you don't have a family doesn't mean you can't make one twice, I guess. Like, I, I but it feels like it's speaking to a different Natasha. Like, she already kind of thought of everybody in the Avengers as her family prior to this movie. I don't really feel like we needed this step. Like, you get to Age of Ultron, you feel like she's already pretty comfortable around all these people. She's not like the kind of black sheep of the Avengers who's, like, very much the outsider. You know what I mean? Like, how... Mm. I'm trying to think of a good comparison, and I can't think of what... Like, how Ursula is... Um, not Ursula. Um, oh, my God. Karen Ursula, as in, as in like the Little Mermaid? No, not Ursula. Um, Karen Gillan in Guardians of the Galaxy. Nebula. Nebula, Jesus. Like how Nebula is in Endgame, if she's very much like the outside presence and it's always kind of a bit awkward whenever she's interacting with people. If that was her before this movie, then, and this being the learning experience that kind of made her more comfortable around her co-workers, maybe. But again, because we've kind of this movie is very much out of step with all of that. It wouldn't have made much sense for her just all of a sudden between movies become very comfortable around the Avengers without this kind of in-between movie. So, yeah, that's a little weak. Like, it's still fun because they've just cast good... They've done a very good job on casting for the movie in general, just to kind of work around that, with one exception that we'll talk about. <laughs> I feel like we might be thinking of the same person there, but we'll get round to it. hope so. Well, the, the big thing coming out of this when I saw the early reviews was it's not so much Scarlett Johansson's movie as it is Florence. <laughs> and, you know, we're, we're big fans <laughs> of Florence. Glad that joke's continuing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She will ever be Florence. <laughs> um, so my girlfriend my got real bored of that joke real quickly on the drive home. Uh, <laughs> but it, it's kind of it's Florence Pugh's movie, mm. and I, I she's not my favorite character, but I do think she does a very good job. And if she's going to be the replacement in the MCU, not like a one for one replacement of her quote unquote sister, 
uh, I think she's going to have a good future going forward. Um, I don't. I think they've basically come out and said they're no longer doing like those long-term contracts, like how um, Stan, uh, uh, um, Sebastian Stan was signed to like a ridiculous like ten movie picture or something like that mm. um, when he first signed on to be with Soldier. They're not doing that anymore. They're hoping that you know, well, they're, on the outward they're saying, well, hopefully we make projects that actors want to return for, but also. They now know they're the biggest game in town and probably don't need to hold people to ransom to appear in MCU movies because they're probably going to want to anyway for the money and the fame that comes with that. Anyway, hopefully they've at least got it down for something. It, it seems to hint that there, there is at least a few more things they're going to do with her going forward. We'll get into that after the spoiler alert. But overall, I think it was a very good introduction to uh, Yelena Belova. It was. I, I think she's absolutely the star of this movie. I, I really like Florence Booth, so uh, happy to see more of her at any point. I mean, we both saw Little Women, for God's sake, and she was the best thing about that film. Oh, whoa, whoa. I didn't see Little Women. I thought you did see Little Women. Mm-mm. Oh, that is disappointing. I, I was given the option and decided not to. Um, but I, I've, heard, I've heard good things. I mean, it's fine. It's pretty good. It's not the best but you know it wasn't going to be the best it was the same year as parasite it got no chance anyway um yeah problems for you she's she's great and i think i think you get a very different version of the black widow character here in 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 a very different way as to white shown in the comics um i mean yelena blood was was for all intents and purposes like the dark reflection the 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 copycat the the clone of natasha romanoff and you don't get that here what you do get is the story from the other side which i quite enjoyed it's not done to its fullest extent and i think that is because you need to be able to have these two characters share scenes together from the get-go so we don't get to see much widow versus widow fighting which i think would have been quite interesting to have what is there though and what they are able to do by putting scarlett hansen and florence Pugh in several different just scenes of them talking is get a good grip on how this version of black widow this particular widow so to speak is a bit more you know stuck to the code a bit more old-fashioned has not evolved in much the same ways that scarlett hansen as natasha romanoff has and how this character can integrate into the new post avengers society and that will be interesting to see going forward. What you also see is kind of like the younger, scrappier and probably not as cool headed version of this character, which is very interesting to see, because in my version of the Black Widow movie, this would have been set in the 90s and would have featured a character much like Florence Pugh's Yelena Belova, but just being played by Scarlett Hansen. So I feel slightly validated that that's the direction they went for. Uh, Yelena, because that makes a lot of sense, is to is to show the rough around the edges whilst still very capable character, and then you've got potential for them going forward, which makes a lot of sense. I know she's not been locked into a multi-picture deal, but I would not be angry about seeing her again, and we're going to be seeing her, fingers crossed, before again before the end of the year, which is very very cool. Let's hope so. She's got a lot of narrative potential, I think, just because they show her to be emotionally quite. Um, immature and naive, not like in a bad way, but like when you know, then when um, Scully Hansen, um, when Natasha is making protestations that you know this family unit they had when they were 
um, younger, wasn't real, and never was real, and they should stop acting like it. She kind of takes that very to heart and very badly because she was like, "This is the only family I've ever known." So there's that vulnerability there that you don't get like at all with um, Natasha. And that going forward, like I said, in this kind of post Thanos universe, is going to be quite interesting and it's going to be interesting to see where they kind of go with that because she's kind of she doesn't know her place in the world it'd be interesting to see how other characters are going to kind of interact with her and kind of use that for either good purposes or bad purposes going forward now i know she was your favorite character but i can't overlook my boy because david harbour's fantastic in this movie oh you're talking about jim hopper the man who can punch his way out of anything exactly now on the way home i was like god he's just great in everything and then i remembered hellboy so there are some <laughs> there are some limits to what david harbour can do but we're not going to find him anytime soon in the mcu so he's playing uh, alexei shostakov okay the red guardian russian captain america and he's like he's not even trying to play this straight he is very much they had a re- relatively serious spy movie going on and then just decided to pop a ca- comedy character in there <laughs> for the hell of it. An over-the-top Russian macho man just running around with all these super serious spy women. It's so good. <laughs> the one character that saw that when you sign into a Marvel movie, you get a personal trainer and went, nah, I'm good. <laughs> no, for my purposes, it's better that I remain chubby. That's true to the character. <laughs> Lucky boy. Yeah, he's just... It's, imagine if Jim Hopper, if we turn all the dramatics up to, like, 11, and you, you get <laughs> where we're coming from. It's so good. Like, he does have quite a moment, like, particularly when he's interacting with um, uh, with Blanche Pugh or when he, the, the actress who plays her as a younger girl in the 90s. He does have some tender moments here, which I think kind of help the character feel more real, but very much he's here for levity. And my God, does it land every single goddamn time. Yeah, it's it's always a pleasure to see Red Guardian in this movie. I will say, speaking about that um, scenes with uh, Florence Pugh or the Yelena Belova character, they did some really good de-aging on uh, David Harbour as well for the, the start of the movie, which was very, very good to see. They did. That was one of the best parts of the movie. So it kind of... Is it spoilery? Is it? Mm. I don't know. The, okay, minor spoiler alert. Thank you. So we start off in um i think it's ohio it is ohio yeah it's in ohio in the in the 90s um and basically we get treated to what if the mcu did the americans for 20 minutes retire <laughs> it All was very the americans <laughs> right no one from the americans cast turns up in this film and i am quite annoyed about that i mm. feel like they could have got somebody in to to you know because it's a largely american and british cast even though Pretty much everyone who appears in it is Russian, so that's a little annoying, but we'll get to that, we'll get to that. Um, if only they just had off. two agents named Philip and Elizabeth, it would just, oh, just just got me there, that would have. Right? They could, what was the handler's name in the Americans? They definitely could have got him in to do something. Oh, yeah, fuck, I can't remember. Um, I'm going to look that up when next time oh, we're talking. Oh, the, the, the guy you cast as the chameleon? Yeah, Arcady. That's it. Why couldn't Arcady have replace god damn flipping ray winston <laughs> we'll get to him we'll get to him <laughs> right so david harbour and um rachel weiss who's playing uh, melinda vostkoff 
um, are basically Philip and Elizabeth from the Americans. They are um, Russian spies uh, working for S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, and they have with them um, Natasha Romanoff and Yelena Belova. Yelena Belova. Um, and they're living like a, a what for all intents and purposes appears to be a proper American life until David Harbour comes home and says, we've got like an hour to get out of the country. And you see them very quickly pack up their things. They drive to uh, an airstrip and they are trying to make an escape in a plane while S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, agents are chasing them down in cars and shooting at them. And it's a really, really exciting like 20 minutes. You know all the characters are going to be fine, but it's still quite a exciting start to the film and kind of sets you up for the, the path we're going on of trying to get back to this not ideal but this kind of idealised family life that Natasha and to a larger extent uh, Yelena were living before all this kind of craziness kicked off and all sent them down very different very dark paths it is yeah very interesting you bring up Rachel Weiss. actually she should, she's playing by name a character that was referred to in the comics as Iron Maiden um, which would have, would have been very interesting to see um, but no she's very much playing a um like a handler situation, mm-hmm. a, a a scientist who is now like, you know, working on the Red Room program. Um, there are some logical inconsistencies about the Red Room program that we'll come into later on. But for the most part, Rachel Weiss was fine. And I didn't really have much of an opinion on it after that. I think she's good acting against David Harbour. Mm hmm but she's not the star of those scenes. And it's a shame because I know that she's a very good actress and I just don't think she brought much of that here. But I don't think that's her problem. I think that is probably the direction, probably the character that they've written. They'd already nerfed the Melina character by not letting her have... Well, I mean, the, Melina doesn't have any powers in the comic book. She's just somebody who stole an Iron Man suit. So making her a Black Widow is not the greatest stretch of the imagination. It's not particularly interesting, though. And we've already got two versions of the same character inside of Natasha and Yelena. To then introduce a third that is much the same, especially because then there's there's then three female super spies, essentially, in much the same getup. And then you've got David Harbour in his ridiculous red costume, which looks phenomenal. Like, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know what it is about, about taking, like, Captain America... Co- like costumes and their villains costumes in the MCU and just making them look fucking fantastic <laughs> but they just nail it every single time right but they still look like silly enough to um to kind of feel comic booky and to be like very propaganda based as opposed mm-hmm. to functionality um, but you're right, yeah, they do have a very good track record with translating his... Uh, I mean, the Winter Soldier's been perfect since the first like still image we saw of him. So, yeah, they've got a pretty good track record there. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Um, right, yeah, the guy I was going to say, he's called Lev Gorm. He played uh, Arcady in The Americans. He was fantastic. He's maybe a little young, but my God, would he have been preferable? To Ray fucking Winston. Let's talk about Ray fucking Winston real quick. <laughs> uh, yeah, Rachel Weiss was fine. I bet she's glad she gets to play a super spy. So now both her and her husband have been super spies in films. So yep, good on them. Um, yeah, Ray fucking Winston, right? <laughs> so he's Drakeoff, who has been mentioned before um, in the Avengers when Loki kind of goes through the red in uh, Natasha's ledger. The first name he mentions is Drakeoff's daughter. So we now get to meet the man himself. He's the guy who runs the Red Room, which is where they train all of the Black Widows. 
and it's basically a cottage industry that he's created for himself and he very much runs it and to play this russian you know basically mob type they instead of looking to all of russia or (laughs) good actors or anything like that they looked at the world of online gambling adverts and uh, framed Ray Winston and thought, well, you don't fuck with Bet365, I guess, so best get him. <laughs> I cannot fathom for a second. Like, his agent has pulled an absolute blinder for him there, right? Like, he he has had one of the most, like, inexplicable acting careers in recent memory. Like, he was Beowulf and got to get off with Angelina Jolie for an animated movie. Didn't need to, but somehow he managed to figure out that he managed to get off with Angelina Jolie for the sake of the animation team, I guess. And <laughs> he was in Indiana Jones 4, but maybe that's good. Maybe that's a way of punishing him. But Ray Winston, like, Ray Winston's not terrible, but there's a very finite amount of roles that he can play. And Russian isn't one of them. It absolutely isn't, and um, you got to think that, like, the, in in the yin yang of the um, of, of like the booking universe in terms of like actors um, uh, agencies, on the one side of the scale there is Ray Winster's agent who just gets him inexplicably in good movies and roles he shouldn't have really been considered for, and then there's Nicolas Cage's agent. Yeah. <laughs> uh why is Ray Winston here? What you would have thought the screen test would have been would have included at least 10 minutes of getting the accent right. And apparently it didn't. And it just takes you like it's this really pivotal scene that he's introduced in this like this great crescendo of what is supposed to be this character's entire history. And like you say, all I can think of is get the odds in now. And it's just fuck me. Why? Why are you here, Ray Winston? (laughs) Oh my Christ, he's very much being added to the Hall of Fame of there is Ray Winston and Ray Winston's Russian accent. Oh, like, mate, the, the, those two performances aren't even in the same fucking room. No, just, no. uh, there's, there's a bit where like a screen turns on and in my head all I was thinking was, the odds are on your screen now. <laughs> <laughs> like, he can't, he has such an overwhelming Cockney accent that you cannot divorce it from anything else. It's like it's the opposite problem we have with something in Cruella, where it was an American trying to do a Cockney accent that just clearly wasn't working. This is the opposite way around. I how many people was it like? Oh, oh wow, we've run out of money, <laughs> and we can't go get someone good or appropriate. We'll have to get Ray Winston. I what an oh. So people who were available and on Disney's books, and it boiled down to Graham Norton and Ray Winston, and Graham yep. Norton got the better role. I would have preferred Graham Norton here. That would have at least been something. <laughs> oh, could you imagine the head of the the Red Room, this figure looming over this character's life as just campus tits? <laughs> It'd make more sense than Ray Winston. Um, I mean, it's, yeah, it would. Especially because... So there's basically two primary antagonists here. There's the mouth and there's, there's the body. So Ray Winston is the mouth. So why did you cast somebody whose most important thing is to basically be the entire dialogue for the bad side of things in this movie and cast Ray Winston instead of getting someone capable of that? Because you don't need him to do anything else. He's not in any action scenes or anything like that. Not that Ray Winston could fucking run if he tried. I (laughs) don't get that because so much of that stuff is important. So much of his dialogue has to carry the weight because 
The other main antagonist, the Taskmaster, literally doesn't say anything. And yep. it's... Oh, God. I don't. Like, again, fair play for casting Greg Davis as the tax- Taskmaster. That was <laughs> very on-point casting there. <laughs> Which, again, I, would make more sense than Ray Winston. I almost would have preferred it, to be honest with you. <laughs> Chris, Chris, Greg Davis as... Drakov, I'm sure he'd have a good stab at a Russian accent. Why not? He's a big imposing geezer. He's better than Bray Winston. Keeping... I could keep... imagine him keeping, you know, a load of super spies more in check than Ray Winston in a shell suit. <laughs> oh, God, now all I can think of is that, like, to summon, uh, like, the Taskmaster, and just this fucking figure going, it's little Alex Horn! <laughs> <laughs> Well, even better, he, if he is Drakov and he just he just casts Alex Horn as like his PA and he has the little clipboard that makes the Taskmaster do anything, that would be beautiful. No, we finally got Taskmaster. I have long waited for this character to be using um, the MCU. I thought for all the world he was going to be one they'd use on a TV show. I thought he'd be perfect for like an arc of uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, yeah. Of like, have the Taskmaster character be the guy who's training all the henchmen for all the other MCU baddies. And, like, you have to go and take that down. Because that feels like of a scale that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. would be sent to deal with that, as opposed to, you know, any of the the MCU proper. Um, That's not going to get what we get here. Um, Instead, Taskmaster is very much a silent... It's basically snake eyes, to all intents and purposes. Mm. I... Like, the character's completely silent. And I, I feel like it's kind of missing something. It's not as good as I would have hoped Taskmaster could have been. Like, they... The power set of this character is, at least in the comic books, it's that he's... It's, I don't know if it's like a mutant power or whatever it is. That He has basically a memetic memory, a photographic memory, where any fighting style he sees, um, you know, he watches and, and studies, he can mimic perfectly so his deal is that he basically spends all of his time looking at fight scenes of captain america of spider-man of everybody so that he can perfectly um match their fighting style and therefore be completely like in a one-on-one fight he's pretty much untouchable because he has a counter to every counter that you have to his counter and so on and that's a really interesting character to use and it's probably right that if you're going to pick an mcu superhero to go up against it's someone like Black Widow because if it's Hulk, Hulk's just going to you know punt him over the horizon and be done with him. You need someone who isn't super powered so that those fight scenes could be quite interesting. They just don't really do much with her. There's there's not a lot of time to really kind of get into that and because it's such a silent antagonist you don't that gets explained away very quickly with basically him watching a bit of the airport fight between um hawkeye and black panther and then him doing a few of their moves when he's fighting later on against red garden or against tasha a bit of a waste i think looks wise i know we're all a bit worried when we first saw the stills of it i think the costume looked pretty good but yeah a little bit of a missed opportunity i think i think there's a couple of things that went wrong here Uh, sorry i had to look it up the ability is called photographic reflexes there we go um as as to how he can basically mimic everybody um there's a couple of things that they went wrong with here. One is the silent thing, because in and amongst all of his abilities, Taskmaster also has voice mimicry, which means he can really, like, 
become a chameleon, if you will, and become someone else, which I think would have given us a, a, a really good... I, I know you've got to have the visual identity of the Taskmaster. You've got to have the skull mask. I don't like the skull mask in this. I wish they would have gone for something a bit more skull-like, but hey-ho, you roll with the punches. But you, in a movie about spies, you would have thought that somebody who is very much a chameleon would have been more of an imposing threat. So I don't think that works very well. That's actually like a twofold point as well, because having him say nothing takes all of the bluster away from that character. Here is somebody that is who can watch somebody fight and then immediately mimic them straight away. And you don't think that person would want to put themselves out there as a threat. Uh, th there's a very good version of the Taskmaster in the Spider-Man game that was released in 2018. Yeah. And who felt like a threat because he mocked you the like every time you fucked up. Like when he realized what move you were gonna do, he could fight it off and he'd be quipping back at you. And it's like, ah shit, I, I kinda got to get my shit together, but this guy's really intimidating me. Maybe that does only work in a video game. But the silent meathead trope is not what the taskmaster should have been. And it's it's been forced this way. In order for there to be this mystery of who is the Taskmaster, where who is the Taskmaster is not the most interesting thing about Taskmaster. Obviously, in the comics, he's just some dude called Tony, and that's well, that's cool and good, and it doesn't really matter. The point is not so much who is the Taskmaster, but who is the Taskmaster watching. That is what the focus should have been, and it really wasn't here. It's been, as I said, it's been forced upon it in this plot to serve this payoff which i didn't enjoy in the slightest and i'm now really annoyed we don't get another pop at the taskmaster because I, I really do think they could have done better oh see now you're dragging my opinion down because i agree with all of that thinking, <laughs> like well there was another point i'm going to make about action in general um but first of all wouldn't it have been a, like a really cool way to hint at future characters like have taskmaster do something well, is he mimicking so-and-so? Like, imagine, just imagine for a second, if he popped three claws out of each hand and just started swiping at Red Guardian. Oh, God, like, yeah. Like, no other mention of it, and it's just that. But, like, hint, like... Or, like, he, watching... or the first time you see him, he's just bonking a billy club in someone's face. You're like, come on, exactly. yes. Exactly. Just do those little hints, at, like, you know, suggest other characters that might be on the way. That would be really interesting. It does bring me to a point, and you're right, it is annoying we're not going to get another crack at the character. We don't know that for certain, but it, right, because they don't, in this, like, in the comic books, it's kind of, um, or at least vague what it is. I think it's a mutant power, I'm not sure. In this one, it's very much, it's not a superpower. It is a chip that gets placed in the back of Taskmaster's head that is, like, basically controlling the character. It's something that he's basically a fighting robot. He is, he is human, but it's a fighting robot, not um you know something that he that the character is learning mm. it, i want to make a general point about that though because this was a movie that maybe more than any other mcu movie was rife for really good fight choreography i just don't think it's here in as much prominence as i would like to because you can have both um you know, the very articulate and very technical stuff that Natasha and Yelena can do, and then you can just have the brute strength that uh, Red Guardian can do. I think I'm getting a bit annoyed at how they're choosing to shoot action. It's not... Like, this was one. There was one shot in particular. Um, 
you, you've seen it in the trailers. Basically, they, they are on a jailbreak, um, Natasha and Yelena, to go and get the Red Guardian out of jail. Um, it's the one that's all in like, the big snowy prison, and they're both wearing the white Black Widow suits. So she flips out the um, helicopter, she lands, and then she fights off some guards. And I thought that would have been a perfect opportunity to go to a wide shot, lock the camera off, keep it still, and just have some really nice, you know, 30 seconds worth of fight choreography as Natasha kind of works through these four dudes mm-hmm. coming at her. Yeah. But instead, they've got this problem that the WWE has, where they think to make action look interesting and exciting, it requires 24 different, like, camera cuts a second. And it makes it slightly hard to follow. Like, this isn't Transformers. You don't really lose your point and your sense of direction and all that good business, but it just means that things don't look anywhere near as impressive if they lock it off. You know what I mean? Not everything needs to be the corridor fight from Daredevil. That's not the point I'm trying to make here, but just sometimes, especially when it is just hand-to-hand combat, do that stuff when it's all the big fantastical stuff or, you know, super-powered people just pummeling each other across the horizon and stuff like that. When it's two human beings fighting hand-to-hand, just calm it down for a minute there's no need for such frantic cutting and editing there really isn't and i hope this isn't a problem going forward because we're getting some very interesting movies coming up next that that especially chong chi where it's very much going to be all hand-to-hand combat and i really hope they don't pull this shit because we've we if it feels like we've learned nothing from the popularity of the raid from the popularity of john wick to be honest there was more uninterrupted fight scenes in the falcon and the winter soldier and that was very much not trying to be a martial arts movie no Uh, and and yet here we are and it's once again a problem for a movie that is about spies that is about very human level threat we're not dealing with anything cosmic we're not dealing with anything you know from asgard we're not dealing with anything that's overly technical something that you have to explain away with cuts and cgi it's people using their physical exertion and it feels forced. The the scene on the bridge, uh, the first fight between Taskmaster and uh, and Black Widow is probably the one that does it the best. And even then, it's it's littered with CGI shots, and it feels really artificial and put together. At least compared to movies inside the MCU that have had great fight sequences. Once again, I bring you back to the Winter Soldier. That plenty of cuts in the in the fight scene between Winter Soldier and Captain America, ironically also on a bridge, um, but that felt so much more visceral. The, I think like they handled the camera better in that as well because you get some real like the iconic shot of Winter Soldier catching the shield. Yeah, you know what? I'll give you that. It looks fucking incredible. I didn't feel like we got to see anything that was truly visually or like in a storytelling sense iconic from any particular sequence or shot in this movie. And that stings because this is the last time we're seeing the the Black Widow character, at least Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow. It's the last time we're seeing her and there's no defining moment. In fact, they take the piss thoroughly out of the defining look of this character quite a lot in this movie. So I'm yeah. just I'm just left feeling not particular, not underwhelmed, but certainly not over. I'm, I'm just whelmed. I am whelmed. <laughs> well, I looked up. I went to look up who the director was. Um, what what she'd done before. Uh, her name is Kate Shortland, and in short, not a lot. Um, she's made. 
three films prior to this, uh, 2004's Somersault, 2012's Law, and 2017's Berlin Syndrome. And then she gets an MCU movie. What this does mean, however, that basically me and you just need to put together one film, Russo Brothers-esque, and then we're in the running all of a sudden. So <laughs> I feel good. And they're not like action films. They're like very small narrative dramas. And she got Black Widow. Marvel just, good God, they can do anything. Um, mad bastards. Right. I think that's pretty much everyone covered in the let me just have a quick look. Uh, well, there's, there's this really weird character that keeps popping up. Um, he's played by O.T. Oh, I'm pretty uh, sure it's O.T. Fagbenerly. Fagbenerly, that sounds good. Um, he's playing a guy called Mason, uh, who is a character. We had to look it up beforehand, but he is a character from Marvel Comics proper. Um, not a very big-time character by the look of things, but... He's basically, um, his name is Mason, but he may as well be Deus Ex Machina, because he <laughs> comes in, he's basically a handler, he's basically a fixer for uh, Natasha, whenever she needs transports, living uh, quarters, stuff like that, this is the guy she goes to, to kind of get it done off the books, um, and he gets quite prominent, like, you know, he's, he appears on the poster, he's quite high on the cast list, but... He appears in three scenes and doesn't really do anything other than being mildly British and mildly annoyed at Natasha. Strange. Apparently the character is supposedly romantically interested in Black Widow. I really wish he brought that to the performance. That would have put an interesting That's... spin on things. Right, yeah, that completely went over my head. Um, and also William Hurt's back as Thunderbolt Ross. I feel like he's going to get him more prominent... Uh, in the next few years. Like, they they brought him back for Civil War, basically to just be the front of the government. Um, the first time since um, 2008, Incredible Hulk? Or is that too early? No, 2008, you're right. Lovely. Um, and, and we'd basically forgotten about that movie, but the, him and Abomination coming back kind of means maybe we're getting back on board with that. Uh, we might see Liv Tyler again, you never know. Um, <laughs> so he's back and he's once again he, we only see him in kind of fits and spurs he's basically bookending this movie um, but I, I think from other things that we'll talk about after spoilers he's going to be quite a prominent character going forward I think there is definitely potential with that which I'm really enjoying um, yeah there is more to be said about certain characters one of the things I will say very quickly about Mason uh, this is Rick Mason who does also appear in Spider-Man Miles Morales in a very, very different form. And I would say a far more likeable form. But Darren, until you played Miles Morales, uh, we can't talk about that. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry about that. I'm going to get around to it eventually. Just got to wait for the PS5. Yeah, you um, got you got to wait for the thing to come in stock, which never happens. I'm hopeful in some point in the next 12 months. That's as low as I'm setting my sights. Because at some point in the next 12 months, I'll be able to get it. Hey! It's okay, though. I've discovered Xbox all of a sudden, so it's going well. Man, Halo 3 ODST is a complete waste of fucking time, isn't it? <laughs> it's so drastically different from the rest of the series as well. Like, you so... think you can go in with the same energy, and you get fucking murked in the first level. Like, this is what I wanted from a Halo game, having to creep around the outside of the map so no one tries to pick on me. <laughs> oh, this is, this is the refreshing change of pace this series needed. Huh. Um, oh, we can't stop Halo talk. We'll be here all day. 
Uh, is there anything else you wanted to mention? I think overall I'm, I was pretty satisfied. There's some good action sequences, like a few problems with how they shot and edited them, but still pretty good. Um, enjoyable plot twist that you don't really see coming. It just, it's, it's nice. It's very much a mid-table MCU movie. I don't think he ever had any aspirations of climbing above that. Um, I'd put it kind of in the Doctor Strange, Black Panther territory, right smack bang in the middle. Not bad by any means, but not great either. Pat, I will say it went by very quickly. I was never bored or kind of clock watching at any point, so that's a mark in its favour. And it did make me laugh out loud a few times, so again, pretty excellent. But yeah, never really. I, I don't know what it would have had to have done to really climb above that. Yeah, that's a good question as to where this sits in the grand scheme of things. I'm just looking over what was actually released. Um, so I think this is pretty bottom end, which is a real shame. Because um, I'm just looking at all the stuff that's happened in this. And realistically, there's only like three films I can say that are categorically worse than this movie. Which, of course, are Iron Man 3, Thor 2 and Captain Marvel. They are categorically worse than this movie. Like, not even close. But then it's like, mm, did I like this as much as the first Thor movie? Did I like this as much as Ant-Man? Did I like this as much as Doctor Strange? And then maybe it starts to creep up a little bit. Ultimately, it's not as interesting as the things that's been put out this year, which I think is one of the bigger problems. Is that the MCU is already doing far more new, far more interesting stuff. And at least laying the groundwork for something that is going to happen moving forward. Whereas this felt like a two hour introduction of a singular character, which is, you know, that works at the start of the franchise. That works in your Iron Man, your Thor, your Captain America one, even in the Incredible Hulk. That works. Here we are passing the baton to a character who, don't get me wrong, was the star of this movie, is very good but ultimately serves to introduce her when I feel like that could have been handled much in the same way that Black Widow was handled from the very beginning as just somebody who appears in other films. That would have been fine. And it's a shame that I feel like that because I feel like there is a good version. Well, there's multiple good versions of this movie. Me and you wrote two of them. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, this was going to be originally, like, way back when before Marvel got the rights for the Avengers back. Um they were going to be making this like in 2004 with um, David Hayter as the director, who you might know as um, the voice of Solid Snake in the Metal Gear series, but also a co-writer on X-Men, X-Men 2 and Watchmen. Now, it's a varied career, don't get me wrong, but I feel like you would have brought something a little bit more interesting and far more gritty than this. And whilst the, it is some of the grittier aspects that are fun, I feel like the bits that are the best in this movie, are the more out there things. Red Guardian is a standout. I really like Elena Belova. There's some good set pieces and it only really gets to those heights when it does something a bit more ridiculous, like trying to airlift a Russian prisoner out of the middle of bumfuck nowhere. When it's doing shit like that, it's really good. And part of the, the, the positive thoughts I had about the movie is just being back in the cinema again. Like, I just really enjoy being there. Of course, until somebody started looking at the phone midway through the movie and I got peeved. But, you know, <laughs> oh, to, to quote Homer Simpson. That. Oh, Sorry, go on. Go on. No, I was like, much worse than that. One person decided to cough in the entire screen and they were sat directly 
fucking behind us. <laughs> Unbelievable. Like, no one else, not a peep out of anybody else, but Mandem behind us too felt the need to properly cough from pretty much minute one. Disgusting behaviour. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was not great, mind you. I have ha- had my second jab yesterday, so uh, it's looking oh, good. Yeah, lucky boy. Oh, mate, like whoever said that, like you know, if you got Pfizer, it's worse the second time round, or if you got AstraZeneca, it's worse the first time round. I got worse the both times round. Oh, well, I'm I'm a bit disappointed. If I'd had my day off one day earlier, I could have had it done at the Hawthorns, and then been able to make a blinding joke of I'm used to small amounts of pain at this building, so why not carry that tradition on? <laughs> Oh, God, priceless. They really robbed you of that, didn't they? Yep, very disappointing. So you were going to quote Simpsons and I cut you off. That is a fucking cardinal sin on this podcast. It really is. All I was going to say was possessions are fleeting. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Right. Spoiler alert, shall we? We go. Spoiler alert. So first of all, apologies to anyone who has seen this movie and was getting disgusted at me using the word he instead of she when he's talking about Taskmaster Mm. because... Taskmaster has been male for the vast majority of my life and not um, that girl from Quantum of Solace with a burnt face. Yeah, I got really excited when I saw Olga Kalyanko on the um, on the credits because I thought it was the big brick shit out of a woman that played Mother Russia in Kick-Ass 2 and it isn't. And I got really disappointed when the uh... woman from Quantum of Solace turned up. Like, oh no, it's the other Olga. Fuck. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, because when she took the helmet off, I was like, she looks real familiar. Like, but she's not had any dialogue, and she's only shown her face for like the last ten minutes of the movie. I thought surely they're not going to go and get the lady from Quantum of Solace in to do that, but apparently they did. So maybe they have got some plans going forward. Um, so this is um Antonia Drakeoff, Drakeoff's daughter. Uh, we see a flashback. We finally get to talk about Budapest, but underwhelming is maybe the best way to describe it we yeah. don't get the full-blown flashback like we all kind of hoped it's talked about and in some ways it's more interesting than the action we actually got sometimes in budapest that basically the black widow and hawkeye were on the run for i think they said like 10 days or something and mm-hmm. they hid in like the roof of the train station for five of those days that might have been a fun flashback to do. Maybe do that at the start of the movie. As much as I did enjoy the kind of the American start of this, but maybe do that instead. Anyway, we find yeah, out that maybe the make reason... that the movie. Oh, you know what? Make it Black Widow and Hawkeye and just do Budapest. Yeah, that might have been. Or do like have that as like half the film and then half now. That could have been quite interesting. Mm. Ah, shit. <laughs> Well, oh. should, we, should we get a bit more positivity up in this section? We can do. We can do. Uh, welcome to a new episode, a new episode, a new uh, segment on the podcast. It's Mike's Budapest Corner. Yes, they did shoot on location in Budapest, and I can tell you that it was shot very, very well there. In fact, the moment you'll uh, you'll have seen it now because you're in the spoilers bit where the car flips over onto a tram line that is uh, raised and then goes onto a road directly below it. I've been there. That's a real yeah. location, and they shot it in sequence, and it looks very, very good. Lovely. I was, I was expecting you to lean over, much like with Ready Player One, and kind of lean over and go, I've been there! Um, as I have to do every single time I see either the Golden Gate Bridge or Monument Valley, <laughs> um, which comes up a lot. Camping the Simpsons, but I've been there. It's a cartoon, Darren. <laughs> um, 
So great. It, it's a very nice like locations in this movie. Very nice. It just feels like they could have used them in slightly more interesting ways, like the adventures of Hawkeye and Black Widow in a tube. Um, that'd be nice. Like I, I thought for all the love and the money we were going to get a, a Hawkeye cameo at some point. And we kind of do. We get a picture of Jeremy Renner at the end, but that's it. I'm like, surely. He, I would have put my house on Jeremy Renner appearing at some point in this movie, but alas. Yeah. Uh, but I suppose he was kind of locked in um, the raft during the course of the movie. So... No. Oh yeah, they go out of their way to tell you there, there's a good reason why none of Black Widow's friends are turning up right now. Yeah. They don't expect to see any of them. <laughs> They're all in prison. <laughs> they remind you multiple times, but apart from Cap, and it's like, well, maybe Captain America's out there, but he ain't coming for you. Like, fucking nope. <laughs> that would have that would have been a cool cameo at the end of the movie after um after Chris Evans said that he's done. It's just to have him turn up, like, it's just one line, just to say, like, Natasha, and so at the end, and then he's there, and you're like, hmm, there's my boy. Uh, yeah, no, I would have put my house on Jeremy Renner, at least, at least being in, like, a, a two-minute scene, for it to yeah. just be, you know, something in Budapest, and nope, he gets the Stan Lee treatment. Speaking of Stan Lee... Oh, wait! Oh, God! Yep. I've just realised it. Yep. It's the first one without him. It is. It's the first one without him. Oh. And uh, oh, and he's consigned no. to the history books now, Darren. That is the last time we saw him was in Endgame, and it will remain that way, according to Marvel. Was he in Far From Home? Oh, wait, he might have been in Far From Home. Yeah, because wasn't he the, the guy in the um, tower block in Far From Home? Going, how's your mother? Yeah. Oh, wait, no, that was Homecoming, wasn't it? That was Homecoming. Oh, shit, I'm going to have to double-check this. I'm fairly you certain. You do that. Right, I'm going to look that um, up. You carry on. So, yeah, so, basically, we sh- the Budapest mission was to kill Dracoff back in the uh, the early 2000s. Um, and the only way they knew for certain that Dracoff was in the building, that Black Widow is kind of outside, ready to give the girl to blow up the, the building is if she saw Dracoff's daughter, Antonio Dracoff, she does. She gives the word, they blow the building up, and then she defects the shield. So it, it's, it feels a little convenient that we're basically removing this one kill from Black Widow. Like, oh, it's fine. She, don't worry, she didn't actually murder the girl. One, she didn't know that. Two, she had every intention of murdering the girl. So whether or not she actually did doesn't really make up for the fact that she was perfectly okay with trying to blow up a five-year-old. Um, so that's a bit narratively wonky, but she's here, she's got a muffed up face, and she's got a chip in the back of the head. Basically, Dracoff rebuilt her and used the technology that uh, Melina Voskov, Rachel Weiss's character, was working on. Um, the thing they stole from S.H.I.E.L.D. back in the 90s, at the start of the movie, was um, basically an advanced version of the uh, the mind control they used on um, Winter Soldier, which was very analog and pretty basic and required a lot of well, cryostasis, a lot of pain, the big thing they put on Bucky's head when they need to reset him. This is more, um, it's kind of pheromone based. So they, she, um, Rachel Weiss's character has basically uh, come up with this technology, this chemical that means once a person or pigs, as it's kind of used as the example, is injected with this. Using an iPad, you can make them basically do anything. You can make them stop breathing, you can make them kill themselves, and they will do it without question. 
Um, and that's something, it's the driving force of the plot is basically all the Black Widows, including Yelena, until she's sprayed with this kind of anti-serum that has been created. Um, they're all under this control. That's why you can have fights between Black Widows and Black Widows. Um, and Antonia Drakoff was basically the first test subject that they used this on. And they rebuilt her and made her the Taskmaster. Um, she you, you, she does survive at the end. She's still kicking at the end. So maybe they bring her back. But if she's going to stay mute, what's the point? Maybe, because they have cast a, a recognisable actress, maybe that was just a choice for this movie. And going forward, they'll change it, but we'll just have to see. Michael, please tell me he was in Far From Home. He was not in Far From Home. Oh, okay, so I just had a gut punch two years later than I really should have had. Yep, pretty much. Uh. Hey now, hey now, don't you <laughs> <bits over. laughs> You know what? The man got to have, what, 22? That's just MCU cameos. That's not even including all the bloody X-Men and Spider-Man movies he's been in, so... And he's still the highest grossing actor of all time, so good on the man. Oh, yeah, um, he did very well. Uh, so... We didn't, yeah, we didn't even bring up that kind of chemical element of the whole movie. It's it's a, it's a needs to an end, basically. It's the thing they need to drive the plot forward, is to come up with this antidote. It's why Yelena, who gets blasted with it by an ex-Black Widow who's got out of the programme, she blasts, um, she gets blasted with it, and that's why she sends the antidote that she collected to Natasha, because she thought Natasha would just take it to Tony Stark and recreate the serum and they'd be fine not knowing that the kind of avengers are on the outs at the moment um it's also the contrived way they get to have natasha and yelena fight at the start of the movie which felt a little unnecessary yeah no that, that i mean that you talk about deus ex machina from the ot folk benley character the gas that undoes the black widow trading that that's some real deus ex machina shit right there it's like how can we make it so that we don't have to have our two protagonists fight each other I know, mind gas. I just, the more I think about this film, the less I actually like it. <laughs> I'm doing that thing to myself again. I, I don't think it's actually too bad of a plot contrivance or a plot device. I think it's fine. And it would kind of explain the the steps forward the, the Red Room has made, which is why, you know, previously she wasn't really trying to take it down and no one was really concerned with it, but... Now that it's basically a, a one man with an army that he can control, you know, because we see someone early on during one of the early fight sequences when other Black Widows are chasing Natasha and Elena in Budapest, one of them, like, falls off a high thing and breaks her leg. And seeing that she's basically of no use to him anymore, uh, Ray Winston gives the Terminate order. And mm. she basically, even though she's still talking to Natasha, she basically says, I don't want to do this, and then shoots her with the kind of little stinger bracelets all the Black Widows use and kills herself. Because you don't fuck with Bet three six five. It's the it's, odds it's on her fine. screen weren't very good. <laughs> oh no! Stop it! Don't get me to a rant about <laughs> betting adverts. I'll be here for literal hours. Um, yeah, it, it's it's fine if you think about it for any extended amount of time. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but it also ties to the fact of like that they use it quite cleverly later on. There's a scene where. Um, later on in the movie where Black Widow has Ray Winston cornered and goes to kill him but she can't because um, his pheromone was part of this chemical that was injected into them so basically it's a safety mechanism if they can smell if they can smell Ray Winston <laughs> they don't want to kill him like it's, a, it's a terrible sentence to have to think about 
because I can only imagine the amount of Lynx Africa the man gives off. But <laughs> um, she she basically has to break her own nose in order to stop smelling Ray Winston, and then she can kill him. <laughs> Funny. The day after, real quickly, the day after this, um, I was around. Um, I was sat on a, a bench uh, a, a, in a pub garden with my um, six-month-old niece, mm. and she sneezed and came two millimeters away from cracking her face into the bench like Natasha does on the desk. <laughs> so close! I was like, "Oh God!" <laughs> it's a good job she's got like if she had one of the Guttridge noses, she would have definitely broke it. Thankfully, she takes after her mom in that fact. She's got, got a little stubby button nose. She was fine, but uh, oh boy, that was scary for a second. <laughs> uh, is that the baby Margot? Uh, no, it's the baby Florence. Uh, oh. Baby Margot is now up and about and running around and causing havoc wherever she goes. Now, this is the baby Flo, much less in control of her own head. She headbutted me twice uh, on Sunday, so that was fun. Um, but there we go. Also, I can't see anyone headbutting a desk. Sure, you were a Nickelodeon kid growing up, right? And even, I, I mean, I mean, bit of mostly Cartoon Network, but I watch a bit Nickelodeon. Let me rephrase that. You were a Keenan Kel kid growing up, right? I mean, yes. I can't not see anyone headbutt a desk and not think of the time that Kel does it. He <laughs> thinks he's got like, he's like, he finds out his IQ that's like over 100. He's like, oh, my brain is so powerful, I can break this desk with it. Bang! Oh. <laughs> so thanks, Keenan Kel. That's been stuck in my head for the last 25 years. <laughs> oh. oh, God. Anytime I see Tuna as well, that's just ruined. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. What I was going to say was, um, what do you think the scent is? Because in my head, it's jelly deals. Oh, just. <laughs> Yeah, if it's not Lynx Africa, it's Jelly Deals. And just like that old that smell of pubs that used to have smoking in. Mm. You've been around the Brunswick, right? Oh, you yes. You know that smell. Yeah. Stale, tw- like quarter of a century old smoke that's in every fucking fabric in the building. Yeah, stale that's what Ray Winston, old ale. Yeah. Yeah, that's what Ray Winston smells like. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, that plot line sucks. Just that you can't touch me because you... And I quite like the idea of she had to, like, really hurt herself and break her own fucking nose in order to win. Uh, but they, they super undo that really quickly, don't they? Like, they, <laughs> there's a scene where they like, well, we kind of... Uh, we don't want to have to keep trying to draw the blood on her for all these new scenes, so we're going to have a scene where she sorts herself out. <laughs> It's just so fucking ridiculous. I didn't know it was so fast. Someone should have told that to Owen Wilson years ago. Oh, yeah. Helped him. No end. We are one episode away from the end of Loki, and he hasn't said wow yet. No, he came very close. I want the last scene of the last episode of Loki to be Owen Wilson on a jet ski going wow, and then I'll be happy. 10 out of 10 TV series, the best of the year, no doubt. Christ, I hope they do it. I really hope they do it. Um, Why would you not have him say it? Surely they're saving it because they know it's a meme now to have him say, wow, and you have to do it. You've got to think they're going to do it right. Surely. Surely. Uh-huh. Uh, I would like right. to have Anything seen else? I would oh, like to have seen a flashback on. fight between Red Guardian and Captain America, and I would have liked it to have lasted all of about five seconds. Uh, just for like the, the the character of Red Guardian, who's very much living in the past, like his old glory and the missions he should have done, I would have loved it if Red Guardian was somebody that like Captain America just w- one punch knocked out, and that was it. If they could just, like if Chris Evans was under contract, I have no doubt you would have seen the scene of him just one bombing Red Guardian, no problem. <laughs> that would have been beautiful but uh so he does tell the story of like how he fought captain america but the gears don't make any sense no 
Um, also, apparently, there is a mutant in this film. Now, that's interesting. Who is it? The, the guy who he was arm wrestling, the big fucker, mm. was called Ursa, which everyone thinks is uh, a character called Ursa Major, who is a Russian mutant who is a bear. Mm. Um, so, eh? Like, that, surely that's just someone being called Ursa, right? Surely to go their first mutant isn't a throwaway guy who isn't even a bear in the Black Widow movie, but... Who gets his fucking arm broken, so, like... Yeah. Not a particularly great intro for the mutants. I'm sure the mutants are coming. I don't think it's this year now, but I'm sure they're coming. Well, there was a lot of rumours that, like, oh, yeah, um... What's his name? Uh, he's a Wolverine bad guy and he's Russian. He's got white skin. Um, oh, oh, no, uh, no. What's da, his da, name? Da, da, da. He's got like he's got like tendrils. Yeah, Omega Red Omega or Omega Red. Uh, Omega Red. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there was big rumors he was going to be in this movie, or maybe even like Colossus, because I remember in the early trailer breakdown we see someone thump the door clean off the hinges. Everyone was like, "Oh my god, it's Colossus!" But it wasn't. Um, I think maybe, maybe I'm holding out Shang Chi is going to be the one to start seeding um, those type of things in. Shang Chi's not far away, is it? It's not. I think it's two months. Let's have a look. See, Shang Chi and the Legend of Two Rings is doop a doop a doop a doop uh, at September. Okay, so uh, yeah, uh, that's not too far away. That's only um, oh, it's less. Less than two months away from uh, another MCU movie. Lovely. And of course, we've got the What If series coming up as well, which I'm just, I just love more and more as, as they show more stuff. I'm, I'm just glad that they're really taking some risks with that. You know what? Before, just before we talk about the post-credit thing, I will say, like, yes, this was a very safe bet of a film, but there's a chance, like, Spider-Man's coming. And we're both big Spider-Man fans, and that's probably, unless they find a way to really mess that up, that's probably going to be our favourite Marvel uh, movie of the year. Uh, admittedly, the second Shang-Chi trailer was a lot better, mm. in, for, for at least for engaging uh, me with that movie, but there's a not insignificant chance that this might take home the silver medal above both Shang-Chi and the Eternals. That that makes me that that indicates to me that you there's definitely at least one more film that you'd like more this year, which fills my heart with joy because we might have two years on the trot where a Marvel movie doesn't come top. Actually, I need to have a quick look at that. What is currently sat at number one? Uh, Uno, Momento. Um, did I like it more than that? Mm. visual jokes on a naughty apart sorry <laughs> i might need to i might need to sit down and think where this comes because i mean if you've uh by this point you hopefully this to a Cruella, um uh review where i said at the at the point of that recording it sat at the bronze medal position of my <laughs> favorite movies it no longer does i'll definitely say this is a lot better than cruella oh hell yeah it's just whether it goes against the other two that are currently sat at the top mm. Mm. I'm uh, going to have to have a think about that. I'm fairly certain I know what those are. Uh, you can tell me off air, because you've got to save a little bit for the uh, for the pod, Matt. Absolutely. But, uh, but, Very yeah, quickly there, before we get chance. to that um, oh. post credit scene, by the way. Sorry. I have to talk about the music choices in this movie. Um, mm -hmm. What the fuck was that opening version of uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit? Oh, yeah. I, I don't want to know what the lyrics are. I don't need you to over-enunciate all the lyrics that smells like Teen Spirit. I don't need that. 
it's like you had that one bloody Trent Reznor and whatever her face do, the immigrant song from Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. Mm. And you've been trying to recapture that lightning in the bottle ever since, and it's just not worked. So uh, it might be time to give up, lads. Yeah, just don't. I fucking hate Nirvana, but <laughs> word, word to the wise, don't cover Nirvana songs. It never goes well. Nope. Look at Pan. <laughs> oh, no, don't remind me of Pan. Don't do that One to me. One of the most inexplicable five minutes of film I've ever seen <laughs> in my life. You, there is no correct narrative use for that song, unless it is literally the Kurt Cobain story. There is no narrative like way that that song fits with what story you think you're trying to tell so just don't do it <laughs> yeah that movie got a better chance works. of making it only works in a movie about 90s grunge and that's it exactly you've got a better chance of making fucking octopus's garden make more narrative sense in your movie <laughs> than fucking smells like teen spirit so just stop uh yeah it was was there any other musical choices that's the only one i can genuinely remember i mean american pie plays a big part in this movie but i didn't hate it somehow uh, that's my mum's least favourite song of all time, so that's kind of cursed in my household. So that's fair. Yeah, very fair. Don't don't like that. Uh, <laughs> it's family loyalty more than anything else. I actually have against the song, but much like with Morris dancers, if you're a good judge, you have to dislike that song. So <laughs> just holding up my part of the bargain. What did Morris dancers have against American Pie? <laughs> <laughs> You've got it the wrong way round, Michael. Oh dear shenanigans uh okay we'll talk about if there are any morris dancers listening to this however unlikely uh you're scumbags and you've wasted your life (laughs) there are any morris dancers listening to this welcome this is called the internet (laughs) why did i just get morris dancers confused with the amish i mean they're both dreadful (laughs) oh jesus right um are we ready for post-credit talk we are the one bit of this movie you don't get to watch before uh infinity war so you can tell this movie was meant to come out before falcon and the winter soldier yep uh it doesn't really matter in fact falcon and the winter soldier gives a bit more context for who uh valentina allegra de fontaine is mm. uh who is the slightly purple-haired lady that Jul- uh, julia louise dreyfus uh played in falcon and the winter soldier talking to um u.s agent in that movie and basically this confirms the theory that she's recruiting a team um and it seems like she's already she's not just sounding out yelena below for that yelena's already contracted to her mm. because um so the end of the movie is uh yelena goes to um natasha's grave um and julia is but she does this thing so there's a there's a thing they do throughout the movie where they whistle to each other uh, yelena and natasha and they know what they're doing cruel bastards <laughs> they it's like a, it's like a, one goes and there was and yelena does it right at the end and they hold and they hold and they hold and everyone's like oh my god she's going to whistle back and we're going to turn around and that's going to be oh my god she's fine and natasha's alive and it's great instead you get julia louise dreyfus blowing her nose and i was like oh that's that's cruel but good well done mm. and she says you're not meant to yelena says you're not meant to be disturbing me on my time off hinting that she's either joined S.H.I.E.L.D., if that's who Julia Reese-Dreyfus is working for, or she's joined um, Val's team, which is suspected to be the Thunderbolt, which is why Thunderbolt Ross is being prominent again in the MCU. Um, and it seems like, like as you've already kind of um, 
pointed towards earlier in the podcast, they're going to be turning up in Hawkeye because she basically Val offers up Hawkeye and said, this is the man responsible for your sister's death. Go get him. So we might be seeing Florence before the end of the year. It may very well be. And obviously, if it's not the Thunderbolts, it's the Dark Avengers. Yeah, could be either Basically. way because because we've still we've this is now the second appearance of uh, Valentina Fontaine, uh, and we don't know who she's working for. We don't know if it is the government. We don't know if it is Shield. Shield very much weren't a presence in uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but the U.S. government very much was. So could be, could not be. A lot of question marks over that. And that's very interesting because we've now got the Captain America stand-in. We've got the Black Widow stand-in. Who else are they going to be recruiting? Well, they're bringing back Abomination in Shang-Chi. Mm. There's your Hulk stand-in. There he is. And already has ties to Thunderbolt. So there's that. Of course, so yeah. Yeah, that's three of the six done. Um, so it's only really who's going to be your Iron Man and your Thor. Um, I don't, Loki does not seem to be pointing that it's going to answer who the Thor is going to be anytime soon. So that might be the standout one. They did replace Thor with a robot in um, the comic books. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Maybe they go down that route. Maybe that's White Vision. We don't know. Oh, it could be White Vision. Yeah, that would work. White Vision could also be the Iron Man standing, though. Mm, You're right there. Put it this way, if War Machine wasn't already set for Armor Wars, I'd say it's going to be the War Machine TV show, at least his next prominent thing, will be as like the new de facto leader of this Thunderbolts team. Because, you know, Thaddeus Ross is a military man, so is Rhodey. That would make sense. So, much like how you can kind of piece together with definitely getting the Young Avengers, it seems absolute certain that we're going to get Thunderbolts, Dark Avengers, whatever they end up calling themselves. So, nice planting of seeds. I... Both of which point towards, I don't think we're getting an Avengers movie for a very, very long time. No, I don't think there's any need to, is there? I think the next big team at one will be, they'll have like a Young Avengers show and maybe a, you know, Thunderbolts. It feels like the the next big team will be X-Men and they won't bother doing an Avengers until it's absolutely necessary. I mean, there's also Fantastic Four. I know, but they're kind of, that's more of a Guardians of the Galaxy thing where they're just inherently a team as opposed to all these disparate people. Unless they, because they've already announced a film. If they announce like a Mr. Fantastic film, a Human Torch film and a Thing film, then maybe. I think they might do that with the mutants of like, they need to palate cleanse everybody from just the X-Men branding. So they'll go about that by having a Wolverine movie. I know we've already had those, but you know what I mean? Like they'll, they'll plant mutants in solo films first and build towards make you really want that return of the X-Men branding. Mm. And maybe even do X-Men versus Avengers if you can think of a convoluted way to get that together. Like, it was already a bit stretchy for Civil War. You'd really have to bend some things to get that to work. Because mm. they did it in the comic books. And it kind of makes sense, but that requires a lot of history to be building very quickly for you to get to that point, so... I don't know. If Avengers, if the Avengers name just goes away for a while, like, I'm not saying permanently because nothing lasts forever, but if it's like five, six, seven years before we get another Avengers movie, I think that'll be pretty good. And instead, we get something like the Young Avengers or the Dark Avengers. That could be pretty neat. All of which would be very interesting to see. Um, and 
yeah, I, I would really like to see the Dark Avengers because you have the the perfect opportunity, if Sony will play ball, to introduce Norman Osborn. And I'd really like that. I didn't want to say that, but you are very right, of course. That would be very interesting. I like because there's the rumours. Please let them be true that they're getting the patron saint of over the top acting back to be Norman Osborn one more time. Oh, no. Boy. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't think you get William Defoe in to be Norman Osborn going forward, but I can't deny that would be quite fun. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, just, just like the pan round of like, uh, like showing like, like the Iron Patriot armor in a lab somewhere. And then it just being like, you know, it, it, it took it. This was made by a genius. You know, this is made by the, the most genius scientist the world has ever seen. And then you just pan around to Willem Dafoe. I'm something of a scientist myself. Oh. Hardcore. <laughs> Fuck yes. Because then, what can he say to his Avengers when they're about to go off? Avenge me! <laughs> and they all like ceremonially just throw a whiskey glass at him and it shatters. Oh, yes. <laughs> Boom. We're back in business. We've done it again. Oh, these days are all. Spend them with me yo happy days. Oh, yep, all that infinitely more interesting than it turns out Black Widow is going to be going for. Sure is, that's a film. Well, this is what I mean. If it sets up all those things of like Yelena Beleva as a bigger character going forward, you can't leave the Red Guardian in the box for too long. He's such a fun character to think of how he can interact with other people. Like him and Thor alone would be brilliant. I'm all for that. I it, that's maybe what the legacy of this film will be going forward. It's actually going to be a bigger film for everybody else except for Natasha than it is for the Black Widow herself. So, fair enough. And again, we had a good time, and sometimes that's all you need. Look away, Michael. You can go find me on Twitter and Instagram and at that by Cohen. You can go and find Darren on Twitter and Instagram and at the Guttridge. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook under the username Fowley and T. That's F O U L E N T. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, wherever you can pick up an RSS feed under the username Fowley and T or Fowley and T Podcast, depending on the service you are using. And of course, go to fanstamer.com for more podcasts, more articles, and more stuff from your boys. Right then, that's out of the way. Uh, <laughs> I was really looking forward to it, and now I'm just I'm just happy to get that out, out and moving on, moving on. Much like how I felt about uh, Falcon of the Winter Soldier. Just there's brighter days ahead. Well, there's, you're not going to have to wait too long before you get to hear us talk about Marvel again, because as we alluded to uh, at time of recording um, tomorrow, in fact, there will be the last episode of Loki on Disney Plus. So we'll be getting that review to you pretty quickly as well after this one um we we haven't told each other everything have you now seen episode four i have yes did you see the wonderful silly pull from the comics yes i did see the one you told me there was a visual gag i was going to love and i saw it i was like oh fuck off have they done that yeah, <laughs> it's like the most yeah. throwaway thing but you cannot fucking miss it it's so funny it's it's on a par with when they put the, the Spider-Man pointing at Spider-Man meme at the end of um, Into the Spider-Verse. It's that level of just deep Marvel meme stuff. That's what we have to go to now. We've plumbed all the interesting narrative stuff. Now it's just the memes. Um, <laughs> which, again, all four. Uh, so, yeah, we'll have a review of Loki coming very, very soon. Uh, is there any movies coming out soon? That's a good question. That is a good question. Yes. The Suicide Squad is on its way out. 
yeah, that's not too far away either. That's uh, before the end of the month. Yeah, here's me getting excited for another movie entitled The Suicide Squad. Apparently, I didn't learn last time. But this is the James uh, Bond I've one. It, uh, it is. I, I've read down here as August. I had the feeling that was coming out earlier. August 6th or August 9th. It's one of the two. Let's have a quick look. I mean, of course, there's always Space Jam and New Legacy to look forward to. <laughs> Oh my god, that just looks like the death of content, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, oh, and they've pushed Jungle Cruise to Disney Plus, so that'll be fun. They have. So they have pushed Suicide Squad back. Uh, it's going to be uh, July thirtieth that that comes. That's out, forward so. then, surely. So yeah, they pushed it forward. My bad. Um, oh no. Yeah, we're getting it six days before America. Oh, Boom. Sweet. Okay. Brilliant. Yeah, that's coming Wonder up. Wonderbar. Uh, so yeah, that's coming um, pretty quick. Oh, I, I did mean to mention real quick. Um, Black Widow made. Let me have a quick look at this. Um, Black Widow made an estimated uh, 80 million pounds at the box office, which is pretty low by MCU standards. But much more interestingly, it made 60 million on Disney Plus for an opening weekend score of. Let's have a look. See, got to do some quick maths. 140 million pounds. Wow. It it was okay twenty million difference, but considering, you know, that's that's movies versus on demand. Oh, but I wouldn't want to be a cinema owner right now. It's a very close uh, result, isn't it? For, for for on demand to be even in the same ballpark as the box office. Yeah, and that's the thing you've got to think. That sixty million is. Like, take marketing out. That is pure profit because they have to, like, manufacture things to go to the cinema. Mm. The 60 million is all profit. It's time to sing the song, Michael. It's beginning to look a lot like Sega. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, boy. That's not good if you aren't. You're finally like, oh, we're finally opening back up. Oh, thank God. And they were only 20 million pounds behind on Disney+. Plus. Which means you pay once, and at least once it's on Premier Access, you get to watch it as much as you like. And then it's just on Disney Plus for the rest of time. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they're they're unlocking it close to Christmas, which is a very good move. Like, I don't think they'll ever go away because you don't get the the experience is nowhere near as good at home as the cinema. But that's interesting. No, it makes sense why they're showing Warsaw Showcase, and I don't blame them. <laughs> Good riddance to bad rubbish. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye.